Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, there was two sons, um, two twin, twin brothers, Jacob and Esau, in the womb of Rebekah, uh, the wife and the, the mother and the, the wife of Isaac. And, and, you know, in that womb, she received a prophecy said that the younger, uh, the, the older will serve the younger, that there were two nations in her womb. And so these sons were quite different that uh, had been conceived. And, of course, uh, in those days, the heritage and legacy uh, went to the firstborn, the birthright, the firstborn. And so there was a struggle for the firstborn. Jacob, uh, even, you know, from some, you know, something stirred inside him to want that, to be firstborn. But he didn't make it out first. He wasn't firstborn, but he held on to his brother Esau's heel. That's how much he really wanted. He just hung on. Thought, well, maybe there's still a way. And he hung on. But he was second. And, um, but he desired that birthright. He wanted it. And uh, God, there was a way that it came to him. Not through the best circumstances, but it came to him because the other one, the one that was favored, Esau, rejected it, devalued it. He devalued that firstborn natural position and favor he had. And, you know, so it tells us a story. It tells us something that, you know, when we don't value the grace and favor God has strategically given us, to, has come with us, uh, you know, and given to us freely, if we don't uh, value that, desire that, want that, then it can be lost to us. It could be lost to us if we don't desire it. You know, it's always about, comes down to what do we want? What do we want in the depths of our heart? Do we want the things of God? Do we want His grace in our lives? Or do we want to just live a life in the world and under the natural way, which is what Esau chose to do? He chose, uh, you know, he chose carnal and natural things over the things of God. And it displaced him from the favor and positioning he had. Because he was positioned to have that birthright. So, you know, we, we need to demonstrate that, hey, I understand I'm favored. I understand God's graced me. I understand I'm in a special position in the earth that God can do many things through me because of this powerful grace and abundance that he has. Hallelujah. So we should understand that this thing of grace is freely given. We saw that in Ephesians 2 and 8 and in Ephesians uh, 2 and 9, it said yeah, that uh, it's not of works. It's a gift, not of works, lest anyone would boast, right? And say, in some way, say, well, this grace has come to me because I did something. Now, this grace is all God. It's all God. It came to us as a gift from the Father to basically a hopeless people. There was no hope for us without the grace of God. John 3.16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world, he gave. He gave. It's a gift. He gave his only begotten son. So a gift is always sourced in the giver. And uh, in some way, if we've worked uh, for it, then it doesn't qualify as a gift. A gift only qualifies as a gift if the receiver has done nothing to warrant to receive that gift. He has not, you know, there's no achievement from us in this grace of God. There's nothing that we have that God desires. 
People, there's nothing that we could come to him with out of our lives and say, I have something to participate, to present to you, to qualify me to be saved or to be included in your wonderful kingdom. In God's eyes, from where he is looking at us before we're saved as an unholy people, collectively and individually, we are spiritually bankrupt. There's nothing that of value in us that he sees that he could use that would qualify us to be saved. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says this, There's none righteous. There's none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. All have turned away. They have become altogether worthless. There is no one who does good. No, not even one. So there's none of us of our own you know, of our own works, of our own activity could bring anything that would qualify us for this. It's all a work of God. He supplied the fire, the sacrifice, and the spirit. Hallelujah. This is a one-sided covenant. We are the, the recipients of the blessing of it, but God did all the work. You know, spiritual bankruptcy is so absolute that there was no hope. You know, when you look at um, bankruptcy... In the financial world, if you look at the bankruptcy laws, I think it's in the United States, they have kind of two codes of uh, bankruptcy law that you could file under if your business was failing financially. And one of those is code 7, chapter 7, and the other is chapter 11. So chapter 7 is permanent. Chapter 7 in the bankruptcy law is that there's no hope for this business. There's nothing you could do. There's nobody that's going to invest in it. There's nobody that's going to do anything for this business. It's, it's, it's over. There is a chapter 11 that if a business was, uh, had some assets and had good management, that maybe with the right reorganization, they could put a business plan together to recover the business over time. That would be filing under chapter 11. Yeah, but under chapter 7, the business is going to shut down. <laughs> and any few remaining assets would be sold to pay the remaining creditors or whatever. There's no hope or future for the company. It's not going to survive. That's the spiritual condition of humanity without Christ. There's no other way out. It's like being found in the middle of the ocean, just being dropped there. Perhaps you maybe fell off an ocean liner and they didn't notice it. And you're just adrift in the ocean in the middle of the night. And unless somebody comes along with a boat or somebody comes in a helicopter, within a short time you're going to get physically exhausted and the ocean will just suck you under and you will die. That's the human condition from God's perspective without the rescue mission of Jesus Christ. Jesus came on a rescue mission. He is a savior. Hallelujah. He's a savior because we needed to be saved. Hallelujah. We had no hope. And those that sit outside the body of Christ have no hope without coming in to the body of Christ. And we need to regularly hear that because we need to understand when we look at the faces of people in the workplace, in the schools, in the university, uh, in the mall, wherever we are, they're in the law. If they don't know him, they're lost. And there might as well be, just like those people, somebody drowning at sea. 
And so we need to understand, too, that uh, this is already paid for for them. Their redemptive price for their soul has already been paid. They just need to know that and understand that. That's our job. Hallelujah. There's no angels who are going to come and do it. Jesus said, you go into all the world and preach the gospel. And teach men, make disciples, demonstrate the abundant grace by laying hands on sick people, hallelujah, by driving out devils that torment them, hallelujah. And, you know, this is, this is the kingdom of God uh, for us. So we should also understand, so we should understand these things. We should also understand that grace is no respecter of persons. God doesn't respect people like people respect people. You know, I particularly like the reference Jesus made in a parable he told about um, a wedding banquet. And in that parable, he uh, initially says, he sends out those to invite, um, uh, initially it would, it's referring to Israel, he said uh, this in Matthew 22, 8 through 10, he said, then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy, that is, because he was rejected by Israel, he then, the gospel was presented to the rest of the world. He said, therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both the bad and the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. I like this expression, both the bad and the good. I like the way Jesus put the bad before the good. That's abnormal for what we normally consider how things should work. That it's always the good that should be put before the bad. But that's just our perspective. It's not the grace of God because God's not a respecter of persons. God doesn't care hallelujah, for his salvation and the acceptance of what his son does whether you're bad, in the world's terms, whether you're bad, whether you're the baddest of the bad or the goodest of the good. The invitation is to both and all. Because the gospel is a great equalizer. Yeah, it, it doesn't care how bad you are. Because he knows even the, the goodest of the good still has enough bad to keep them out of heaven. <laughs> right? And so, you know, we tend to grade people on the curve. We tend to look at people and evaluate them on their performance in the earth. We look at people and we respect people that do much better than other people. You know, we respect, you know, we, we, the performance of academics, athletics, people who perform well in business, uh, whatever, people who get, get ahead. You know, they seem to tend to get the respect of humanity. You know, they get the qualifiers good. And you know what? There's wonderful good things that people do. Thank goodness for good people in the earth that are doing good works. Hallelujah. I'm not putting down good works. Good things happen. People that do good things. But that doesn't qualify anybody for hallelujah, the wedding banquet with Jesus. The only thing that qualifies them is the one that's inviting them. Hallelujah. That they receive his good grace that re they receive his message, that through him, his shed blood and his broken body, they are saved, and for no other reason. Praise God. So we should understand that. 
that uh, both the bad and the good receive grace in an equal measure. God's grace is equally measured out to humanity. He's no respecter of person. There's no shadow of turning in him. There's no darkness in him. Hallelujah. He died for everybody. Hallelujah. And the salvation of everybody is already completed if they'll just receive it. If they'll just take it. Praise God. Finally, with this, uh, let me wrap this message up with just the fact that we live right now in what is called, to understand grace, we live in the covenant of grace. We live in the time of God's grace, the dispensation or the era from when he died on the cross, was rose, rose again, went back to heaven, and the Holy Spirit came and birthed the church at Pentecost. Since that time, until he returns again, is the time of grace. Like an umbrella, if you like. Like, like a covering over the earth that everyone who will, whosoever will, can receive the good word of God. They can receive the grace of God. They can be saved. They can lead the abundant life. You can't have the sufficiency of grace, and you can't have the abundance of grace. Praise God. And so Jesus fulfilled all things. You know, he fulfilled the old covenant. You know, covenants moved by being completed, and then another one started. Jesus completed the covenant of the law. That is, Israel couldn't keep the law, but Jesus could keep the law. Because he was perfected, he was sinless, he came and fulfilled the law. Jesus said this of himself in Matthew 5, 17. Do not think I came to destroy the law. That is just to blow the law off, he said, or to destroy it. He said the law... Uh, the law and the prophet. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. What he declared on the cross, it is finished. What he meant was the covenant of the law had come to an end because the substitute of humanity fulfilled the law. The only way a covenant can be annulled is if it's fulfilled. You just can't declare it annulled. It's got to be fulfilled. Therefore, it was an important aspect of Jesus' ministry to fulfill the law. Bring that covenant to an end and introduce the new covenant. And he was the only one that led a sinless life that qualified him to bear all our sins, to bear the law, to fulfill it, and even to bear the curses of the law. Praise God. He came into the world, it says in Hebrews 10, 5 and 7, it says this, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Hallelujah, the ultimate sacrifice, the body of Christ. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. That's the old covenant sacrifices. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. That is, in the prophecies of the Old Testament, I've fulfilled them. I've come. It is written of me to do your will, O God. And that will was to lay down his life, a sacrifice for us. Going on in Hebrews 8 through 10, it says, Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings for sin you did not desire, nor did ple have pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that is the old covenant, that he may establish the second, that is the new covenant. And you know, by that, we all have been sanctified through the offering of his body. So you sit here today, and you out there who are listening on the streaming today, if you're a believer, you're sanctified by this work of Jesus Christ and nothing else. And I just pray today that everyone in this house 
knows that, understands the grace they're under through the new birth experience. And likewise, you at home today or wherever you are, you might be watching today, that you understand there's no other way. There's only one way, and that way is Jesus. And if you'll receive him, even at this time, through the word you've heard today, you can know, hallelujah, that he saved you, that you're under his grace, that you're heaven-bound, and he's going to give you not just eternal life, but from the moment you say yes to Jesus, come into my life, he's going to give you an abundant life while you're on this earth. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. So the ark door, hallelujah, is still open. But there's coming a time when the hand of God, you know, the ark that Noah built for all those animals, kind of a representation and illustration of tribes and nations filling up that ark. At a certain point in time, that is complete. And it was only the hand of God that could close that door. And it'll only be the hand of God in the bright moment that'll bring the grace dispensation to an end and the Lord will return with multitudes in the valley of decision. So today I just pray as we close, multitudes, the prophet Joel said, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Today if that's you, you're in the valley of decision, you have... You've heard the word before. You've heard the message before of the grace of God. You've heard about Jesus, but you've kind of put it off. You said, well, there's time. I could choose another time to receive him. But you don't really know your time. None of us really know our time. We think we're going to live out the day. And, you know, people sometimes they, they think they'll live for a long time, but they don't. And death just surprises them. But you've got to know that you know, hallelujah, that you're secure in the ark of Christ. So thank you today, Lord God. We thank you for our security. And we pray for those, Lord God, that are in the valley of decision. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. So bless you today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.